severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job. Hello, I am Jamie McKinley and welcome to this bonus episode of Just Get A Real Job. We have a really, really good episode lined up for you guys today as I had the chance to sit down a few weeks ago and speak to Christopher Lee Power who is an actor and author and Christopher has been acting for a long time and he has an incredible story and I'm just really excited for you guys to hear this episode. We recorded it about a month ago now and it was one of the most moving conversations I've had on the podcast so far. It was honestly just such a privilege to get to speak to someone as inspiring as Christopher and and just all the things he's had to overcome in his early life. It's just, you know, and it's an incredible story. And in 2009, Christopher actually wrote a book called Breaking Free from the Street to the Stage, which is about his early life and all his experiences getting to where he is now. And it was just honestly a very, very moving conversation. And I just wanted to release it as a bonus episode. And I'm very, very grateful to Christopher for going into as much detail as he did on the podcast and for sharing his insights. And we talk as well about just, you know, being a creative and Christopher talks about his acting experiences. And there's a lot of really insightful information in here as well. And yeah, I'm not going to ramble on as much as I usually do in the intros. I'm not going to share a poem today or anything. But yeah, I really, really Love this conversation and I hope you do as well. Hi Christopher, how are you doing? Good afternoon. Good, the sun's shining. And that's oh really? Good... I'm very jealous. In Scotland, we had such a sunny day yesterday for March, it was honestly unbelievable and today it is raining and grey but I'm glad the sun is shining where you are. Yeah, my wife and I were out the other day, we do a lot of recording the poetry with a visual image at the back so we went out to get some daffodils uh, in in the village so it's good to see spring and yeah. also with the pandemic the last year i mean you have to remember we've been in three lockdowns now since yeah. march last yeah. year and it has such an effect on your mental health that really, when really you do does. get your opportunity to, to go out and do your daily walk it's it's good to breathe and taking the, oh, the spring yeah I've, I love it I love I cherish my daily walk every day and like you know what's been really nice the positive thing is like I feel like I track the seasons this year it's the first time I've ever really paid attention to the changing of seasons each oh day, yes yeah which is nice because we had snow two weeks ago and then spring yesterday mm. is, is is remarkable actually Do you know there's a remember Shu Grant did a film Notting Hill yeah very good um one. and in that film there's a famous scene where he's walking through, I think it's Portobello Road, if I'm mm. right, and you see the seasons changing, and it's done with the underscore of Ain't No Sunshine. Yeah. So it's a beautiful scene. Well, Christopher, this is, I'm very excited and very thrilled to have you on the podcast. It's always great to speak to experienced actors, especially for our audience who are mostly emerging creatives. And we had Carol on, who you actually know, on episode 15, which is amazing that you, it's great. Mm. To have, I've known him for a long time. And he he's an yes. experienced actor as well. And we got a lot of great feedback for that episode. And I'm really happy for our listeners that we get to speak to you. So thank you very much for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Well, you've got a very interesting story, but I'll sort of start the podcast by asking all our guests, we sort of asked them, what is your earliest creative memory? I went to a school, Conway Middle School, 
And my family were entertainers at the time. So my mother was a country and western singer and my dad was a compere. So he would travel around the pubs with a keyboard, a drummer, and we would follow him and, and sing songs. But at an early age in Conway Middle School, I remember they were casting for A Christmas Carol, Scrooge. And I was cast as a little boy that throws a stone at the window. And then Scrooge comes out and asks me to go and buy a turkey. And I was excited because it was my first public performance in front of an audience, which were the parents of the children. And the funny thing about that, and someone two years ago sent me photographs of the actual production. And remember, I was only eight or nine. And I remember rehearsing. When it came to the turkey scene, we realized we didn't have a turkey and we couldn't get a turkey. But what we did have was Emu, the puppet. <laughs> and so we had to use... We had to use that. Do you know what was exciting for me? And I've talked about this before, not only in the book, but to other people on, on camera. And I get emotional because it was so beautiful putting on the scarf and Wooly Jumper and saying those lines because it was the first time I felt at home with something I was good at. Yeah. Because I wasn't a footballer. I didn't really enjoy sports except keeping fit. And so when it came to drama, I felt this is what I want to do. And it was so special to me. Yeah. It was the moment in my life where I realized this is it. I actually, I know there was a lot of work that I had to do in order to get to where I am today, but that was the spark for me and the acorn of acting. Mm. Strangely, I have to tell you this, in the very school after that performance, the school had to close down and there was a rumor going around in the old bell tower, which is where the caretaker used to live, that there was a blue boy and that the, the building was haunted by a blue boy. But we had to go up and pack some boxes. And I remember going up the winding stairs to the top and we got to the blue bell tower and it was a flat with a toilet and a bedroom and okay. a kitchen. And I went into the bathroom to have a look out onto the roof. And mm. I saw all the old tennis balls that people would hit on to the roof. Oh, wow. My only problem was I'd slammed the door. And being a young child, I started to cry and scream. And I remember my teacher shouting and screaming, saying, you need to grab the handle, pull the handle down and open the door. I was saying, I'm trying, sir. So I grabbed the handle and I pulled and pulled and it came off my hand. So I screamed and screamed. But anyway, he kicked the door down and I got out. So that's the first memory I have of being creative on two occasions. Oh, my God. Wow. You know, I can relate to that story you said about being stuck. I actually, one of my earliest memories, and it's one of the ones that I really remember being terrified was I was in primary school and I remember it was the day we invaded Iraq because I remember I went home for a school lunch and my mum and dad, and it was on the news and me and my dad and my dad took me back to school and there was, they were doing work in the school, right? And there was like this wee, the bit you would go in to get to the classroom, there was two fire doors and I walked in there and the doors shut and you could only open them from one side. And I got stuck in this dark room and I was a little okay. kid and I was doing the same as you, screaming and crying. And, and I was so scared for like 10 minutes. And then another pupil managed to come and open the door and I was like so happy for them to see them. So I totally, you know, when you'd forgotten something's happened, you just sort of brought oh, yeah. memory back to me right there. So I just thought I'd have to share it now. But yeah, that's interesting. Well, Christopher, I just wondered if you would be okay to talk I know you'd written a book and had a remarkable journey but do you mind sort of opening up about your early life and like the struggles you'd overcome because it's like a really inspiring story and I think the listeners will really like it yeah I think it's important to talk about very the much past some people are reluctant but I think if it can help inspire other people then it brings me to a place where I want to do that my family had a terrible first few years in um, the place where we lived and we lived in a 
small flat on top of a taxi place. And in the flat were two bedrooms, a kitchen that had just an old fashioned Belfast sink. We didn't have a bathroom and the toilet was outside. Mm. And my mum and dad were working class. My dad was a painter and decorator. My mum did things, but they enjoyed the entertainment industry. So they were entertainers. And sadly, in 1972, I think it was, my dad and his friend, when we were children upstairs in the bedrooms, they were attacked in the hallway by a couple with a knife and a gun. And my dad was stabbed and his friend murdered. My dad survived just as was done. And the couple were arrested and sent to prison. But the impact of that lasts for many years. And I remember my dad passed away six years ago. And I remember trying to get information from him when I was writing my book. And he was reluctant to talk about the experience. It was an awful time. And my sister relayed something back to me because I couldn't remember a lot of what went on. There were a few things in my mind and in my memory, which I put in the book. And she said that there was a moment after the forensic team had been and took away the body. And my mum had said no one, meaning the children, should come down to the hallway. And later that night, I had come down and my sister had to come and get me. And on the whole walls were handprints of the blood from mm. my dad's friend. So that was a horrible memory. And not long after that, I was diagnosed with hyperactivity, speech problems, and lack of coordination. And in the 70s, a lot of the medical people didn't know much about hyperactivity, and I'm not a doctor. And so I was put in a special children's hospital. And sadly, for whatever reason, they placed me in a restraint jacket. And whether that was to do with me lashing out because of my hyperactivity, who knows? But my dad loved me. And my mum found out what was happening. And my dad came in his car with a Stanley knife oh, wow. and walked in. And rightly so, the, the doctors, the nurses were reluctant to let him in. And the police were called. But he came with a Stanley knife and cut me free and took me to the car and took me home. And there was a huge battle between the social services and my family. But in the end, thank God, we won that battle. So it was a very difficult time growing up in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And when I got to school, I found that I was very rebellious because I had hyperactivity and I was frustrated because I couldn't really write or spell. I mean, mm -hmm. I could pick up a pen and scribble, but my spelling was atrocious. I was quite nervous when it came to standing up and giving a demonstration as a young teenager when you're asked to do that in the class. And so that wasn't good for me. I just had a difficult time. I didn't do well at school, by the way, Jamie. I left school without any qualifications at all. Mm. And remember, the 80s, 70s and 80s, there was a huge change in culture, yeah. the music culture. So we'd gone from disco to suddenly hearing the likes of ska music, like Madness and the Specials. Of course, yeah, brilliant was, bands. Yeah, and fashion was changing mm. and technology. So that was my early years, really, of growing up in Rock Ferry. Very, very difficult. And it paved the way for what was to happen to me in my teenage years. Yeah. Wow. Chris, sorry, I'm, I'm actually, like, speechless. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, it's just that, because obviously, I, I don't, this is the first time we'd spoken and stuff. And I, I know yeah. a bit about your story, but it's just, it's incredible to hear. And, like, it's honestly just, 
amazing to see where you got to now coming from that and I'm just I'm so grateful honestly I'm so grateful that you for you sharing all this stuff with us and I'm not not at all to say I can really I actually feel very privileged as some do with dyslexia because growing up when I did we had a lot of support compared to what you would have had in the 80s and 70s and stuff but yes it's still something today which people struggle with and I imagine there's a lot of emerging creatives in particular that probably are dyslexic or, or autistic or you know have various things that maybe hold them back or have struggled with their mental health and I think it's really important for them to hear this sort of people talk like you who are happy to open up about your struggles and talk about it because you know look you're an example of someone who's made it despite all the odds and it's it's remarkable so thank you very much for that well uh, this is a question we ask everyone and this may be a bit cheerier as well but I'm interested actually but we ask everyone do you have a favorite word from where you're from or a favorite phrase I'm really interested to hear what you you have to say yeah absolutely when when we were growing up in the 70s and 80s, a lot of people would say, if you were rejected, now that may be at school by someone or or you felt rejected by a teacher. It may be when you left school, you were rejected by your first job interview. And my mum and dad used to say, well, don't worry, because there'll always be something around the corner. So that word or those words around the corner was used quite a lot when Mm -hmm. we were growing up, just to encourage people to say, well, don't worry, another door will open. It's just around the corner. I like that. Yeah, I still say that today. I say that all the time to myself. Oh, like, right, okay. There'll be an opportunity around the corner, hopefully. Fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah. I mean, it can be a difficult time for people at the moment. And you do have to really, it can be a fight to stay positive some days. You really do have to keep selling yourself like that opportunity mm-hmm. will come. A very good Scottish phrase. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but this is something my gran used to always say. She still says it now, actually, but it's what's for you will not go by you, which I love. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. very nice phrase um, and it's similar. So, yeah. That's a good answer. Well, Christopher, I was going to ask you about your time at university. Went to, um, I went to a few drama schools. And the reason for that was when I got my teenage years, you know, I'm not proud looking back. I don't condone what I did, but I, I did find myself drinking mm. heavily as a teenager because I had problems. I have a lot of scars here because I got to a place, a dark time in my life mm-hmm. where I drank a lot and I self-harmed. Mm. And I was probably about 17, 18 It was a difficult time because my dad used to be a manager of a pub. And so it didn't help when I had my problems that rather than talk to people, I would turn to drink because my dad also had a bar in the house. And I think alcohol in moderation is fine. Of course. I think once we overstep that line, it becomes an addiction. It takes control of your life to the point of you distancing yourself from your friends, your family. And it's a horrible situation to be in. And self-harming was horrible. But I talk about it because I know a lot of people have found themselves in that situation. But one day I looked at my life and evaluated my life. And I, I joined a local church and they helped me a great deal. But I wanted to go back to college. And I remember sitting on a coach going to the college. And this gentleman called Ron Gittings got on. And he was well-spoken, well-dressed. And I had my local accent, my Northwest accent. Yeah. And he sat next to me, shook hands with me. And he was doing a Midsummer Night's Dream. And he said, hello. And we got to know each other in passing through the corridors. And one day he said, will you come and help me read my lines? It's a Midsummer Night's Dream. So I, I went in and I started to help him with his lines. And my goodness, when I started reading out Shakespeare, I felt this is interesting. It's, it's doing something to me. It's a revelation. It's, it's what I mm. want to do as well as being an actor. And I looked at him 
And I remember saying to him, I'd love to speak like you, but I needed a lot of help because I had this background for this difficult time in my life. And I needed a lot of work on my voice, on, mm. on spelling, on life skills. And Ron took me under his wings and he worked with me for years. We would travel to London and go to the galleries. We would go to the park and he would have me read out poetry. He would come to my house and we'd sit down for hours watching classical videos like Richard Burton, the biblical film, Shakespeare, anything to do with Laurence Olivier or Sir John Gilgood. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely, he worked on my voice and I yeah. started to develop the voice I have now. And I auditioned at many drama schools. And like all actors will tell you, it's either a no or you're recalled. And I did yeah. get recalled, but I didn't get into any drama schools in my early 20s. And then I felt like giving up. And then one day at the age of 28, with his help, I went to Richmond Drama School, auditioned, and a teacher there, or the, the principal, he said after me doing a Claudius speech, I'd love you to be one of my students here. And I felt in myself very taken back and emotional because yeah. over the years I've been rejected. And I got into Richmond Drama School and Tom Hardy went to Richmond Drama School as well a year after me. Oh, wow. I think it was. Then I graduated from there with an Oxford diploma in acting. I then went to RADA, Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, and did some yeah. courses there. And then I trained in the method. I trained at Lee Strasberg, uh, the London drama school. They came over from America. And so they were my drama schools and my foundation, really. I've moved on since then. So my idea of teaching drama, my idea of the techniques have slightly moved away from Lee Strasberg. I've now fallen into the area of enjoying Meisner, Sanford Meisner. So yes, they're the drama schools that I went to. I'm sorry that was a bit long. No, don't, not at all. No, honestly, this is very interesting to me. I'm enjoying their listening and stuff. Sometimes I, I actually forget I'm hosting a podcast because I, I find like these conversations really interesting. So sometimes I'm like feel like I'm just listening to one. Um, but that's a good that's a good sign, I think. So I just wondered, like you sort of drama school stuff. Was it just sort of from learning the voice stuff? How how did you overcome like a lot of these difficulties? Because I imagine like that wasn't an overnight thing. That must have been very hard. Like how did you sort of get through all that? So that's a lot of things to deal with at such a young age. Yeah, as well. absolutely. So Ron. Gittings was brilliant and painstakingly he would spend time with me going over spelling, going over the voice, the vowels, the consonants. And I think going out into the open air and, and into my room and doing speeches in front of him where he corrected me, talking to him on the phone and he would correct me. And gradually over the years, I also went off and got other mentors, other voice teachers who helped me as well. It was hard work. Yeah. What I'm about to tell you is very difficult for me because I am proud of where I grew up. Yeah, It's my root, the, the, my roots. My choice of changing my voice was because I wanted to play the classical roles. I, I wanted to do Shakespeare and Chekhov. Mm -hmm. And although a lot of drama schools, to my knowledge now, encourage you to keep your regional accent, for me, I just made a conscious effort to try and get away from it because I just wanted to play these great roles. And I, I, I use it when I'm playing characters from Liverpool or the Northwest. Yeah. However, when I traveled back in my early 20s, there was a lot of rejection from people. So people would reject me because of my voice, because of the change. And I had a lot of horrible verbal abuse about how I spoke. I remember once going into a room 
talking to a director and he just looked at me and said, if you ever came into my office with a voice like yours, I would never want to work with you. And a lot of people just said horrible things about my voice and it made me become self-conscious to the point of me not wanting to get emotional, not wanting Don't worry to at all. No, talk I understand. to people. And I would avoid people in the street because of the fear of what are they going to say to me now? Yeah. But do you know what? Jumping forward a bit, I, I've been married nearly 18 years now. Yeah, I saw life. your tweet the other day. And I was I was honestly, yeah. I was amazing story, by the way. I, I was like, oh, that's I was so moved by that tweet, just to let you know. That's amazing. But she was a, a, a great rock for me and Ron. And they encouraged me to accept who I am and accept the voice I have. And putting that aside, just talking to people, talking to counsellors. But my wife was great to me. She helped me tremendously. Uh, what I haven't said is at the age of eight, and I'll simplify this. At the age of eight, I was sadly um, abused sexually by men and women uh, terribly. And I lived with that all my teenage, you know, through my teenage years. I, I never told anyone. It was a horrible time for me. Yeah. I was very fearful of what people would say. And I lived day in, day out with knowing that this had happened. And I, I couldn't talk about it. And I think when I was 17, 18, I, I went up to the bedroom to talk to my mum. And I couldn't take any more. And I said, Mum, I have to tell you that when I was eight, this happened to me. And she was taken back and very supportive. But when I met my wife sitting in the car, she was a great source of help. She helped me to realize that I was a victim yeah. and I shouldn't blame myself. Of course. And so she helped me tremendously to, to overcome. And now I talk to victims, adult victims of abuse and encourage them to, to be open. A lot of this is going on in our society. Yeah. I've even been attacked physically for being open about what happened to me as a child. And I don't think that's fair. And no. so I just wanted to say that because you asked the question, how did you overcome? And the, the answer is by talking and being open. Yeah. And this applies to mental health. Of course. We, we need to be open. Many years ago, there was a stigma attached to mental health. People were afraid to talk about it. And I think if we are going to move on as a society, we need to stop this prejudice mm. and we need to move forward and listen. Yeah. And even in the acting world, in the industry, so many actors suffer terribly with mental health problems. You know, Jamie, that we're creative people. Yeah. And if you have creativity inside you, you want to do creative things. And if you are deprived of that, then you become inward focused. You become stressed and depressed because we like to be active. We like to be on the stage yeah. in a film on the set, of course. creating something. So yeah. it's good to talk. Absolutely. I'm can I just say I'm very, very grateful for how open you've been on this conversation. I honestly I, I know I keep saying it, but I am very, very grateful for that and I appreciate it. And absolutely agree about speaking about mental health. It's something I feel very, very lucky to have this podcast now. And I've been able to have these great conversations with people. And at this point in history as well, with COVID and stuff, it's more important than ever to connect and have these conversations. And I'm I'm really like proud to be part of that and and sort of be able to have these conversations but I, I also just wanted to say is about the creativity thing you were spot on because it's such a difficult industry as well to to do it full time 
or to you know get those opportunities especially from maybe a working class background like us or you know overcoming difficulties it can be difficult so you can get really down and you can have days where you really struggle and I struggle I'm, I'm very open about that I have days where I really get down and think why am I doing this like you know am I good enough and and a lot of people do so it's absolutely key that we can talk about it and we can have this open discussion in wider society as well, not just in the creative arts. So it's very important. And it's great that you are a champion of that. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I think we have a lot of barriers to push down and a lot of hurdles to overcome. I think what's inspiring to me looking back is everything I've said happened really in, in, in the late 70s and 80s. Uh, I'm 52 now, so I've come a long way. It just proves that no matter what your circumstances, we shouldn't let people talk us out of our dreams and ambitions. And Absolutely. I had a dream of being an actor. I had a lot of hurdles to overcome with my speech, my hyperactivity, problems I faced. But in my late 20s, I, I got into drama school and I achieved something. And, you know, can I say something? I, in 2007 and eight, I was talking a lot to the press and to newspapers and magazines. And I felt that they were sometimes writing their own spin on my story. And that's what they do. They're good at doing oh, that. And mm -hmm. that's not a problem. But I wanted to be open and honest about my story, but I wanted people to see it from my perspective. Yeah. And I remember saying to my wife, I think I should write a book, but I don't know how, where, who. And I tried a lot of people, or I, I approached a lot of people and asked them to help. And for whatever reason, they said no. And in the end, Pauline said to me, you're the best person to write your book. And so I locked myself away, just turning the camera around in this cupboard. Just for the listeners, yeah, you can see the yeah, cupboard. For a long time with an old computer. And I typed and typed and typed and typed. And I sent my manuscript off to so many publishers, many, many publishers. And every single one said no 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 rejection after rejection after rejection and i just felt like giving up and there was a beautiful moment when i was just feeling low and i went to the front door and there was a letter on the floor and it was from spotlight the spotlight website yeah. uh, where the actors have their cvs and i opened it and inside was a letter and it was, there was some scribble on it from someone else who'd gone to Spotlight to find out who I was. And on the, on the piece of paper, it said, we like your story. Can we publish it? And wow. that um, was it. And the rest is history. And the book found itself into many high street shops and around the world. So that shows you that with determination, you can achieve anything, not just in acting, but in sports and catering and in singing, uh, being a mechanic, you name it, whatever the genre is, whatever occupation, you can achieve so much if you put your heart to it and you get the help you need. Yeah, and I think not being afraid to ask for that help is also really important and people maybe need to to have that, feel they can ask for it. The help's there if you need it, I suppose, you know what I mean? Definitely. Mm, uh, what, what's the book called, just for our listeners? and Because we'll plug all this in the show notes for you. Uh, it's called Breaking Free from the Street to the Stage. And, and excitingly, we, are, are we allowed to talk about the fact it's, it's being made into a feature film now, which is amazing, incredible. Yes, that came about many years ago. And I think someone famous once said that it, it takes such a long time for films to get from 
the script to the big screen. It, yeah. So we've been working on, on this project for a long time. We we have a great team, including my wife. We have a wonderful producer, a great script, which is being tweaked, as you know, as a yeah. screenwriter. And we felt it was right because we want to inspire young people to do something positive with their lives. So I think when you look at youth culture, sometimes they get bad press. You know, yeah. there's a lot of young people out there that are doing something good for our community, for society. That's why we have Princess Trust as well. So we hope that film, when it happens, I mean, we've still got a long way. We're talking to investors. We're looking at getting more producers on board. And one of the things I I remember saying to someone, and I, 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 it'd be nice to hear your opinion, is sometimes when you get a named, well-known actor, you know, someone that's in the spotlight, it's got a big name attached to your film project, can add credibility and help when you go to investors. So that that's where we're up to really, is, is finding out, well, is there anyone we can attach that will add credibility? We're very local, Jamie, so we want to, what I mean by that, we want to use as much local talent as we yeah. want for, for our film project, because I grew up around here and I want to give back to the community by doing that. Yeah, the hard, hard thing is just trying to move forward um, and we're not the only one many films have taken years to get to the big screen absolutely yeah so that's where we're up to yeah so well, did you have a question do you want to ask me there I'm just yeah sure. the question was do you go along with this concept that having a named actor someone that's got credibility and is well known attached to your project could possibly add credibility yeah. when you are talking to investors because Sometimes, and I say that because I, I do support the idea and, and the concept that for us actors that are wanting to, and there are many out there wanting to move forward and mm. get the great roles and juicy parts in television or film, sometimes are overlooked in the sense of there's a lot of people that are are getting these roles that are well known or there's something going on that we are not too sure about. And I feel sorry sometimes when there's a lot of talent yeah, no, in, I, in, in unknown actors. Mm. And we need to be at a place where we also can get an opportunity to get our foot in the door and be seen by, you know, the big casting directors. But then yeah. you have to balance that out. With, Absolutely. If you have a film project, in order to give those actors an opportunity to be in your film, to get some credibility, you need to get someone possibly who, who has got credibility to to make it happen yeah no I, I, I totally agree we talked about this in the podcast before because in scotland we have a very we seem to have a big problem with giving actors a, a, the opportunities as well especially in our local scottish films because we tend to put the same people in again and again and i and like for example i love james cosmo i think he's a fantastic actor and he's in almost every scottish film but the, there's a reason and I, I totally sympathize and i think what you'd said is spot on as well because you do need that credibility to get the funding and if you're a producer you need to have some stars attached to get people to come and watch the film especially yeah. in such a low budget film in Scotland, like a lot of the Scottish ones are or mm -hmm. a lot of the local ones in the UK are like small UK based films so I, I think it's a very very difficult balancing act and I would like to I think we should need to be giving these opportunities out to more not just actors but crew as well yeah, I love absolutely. to see I love the idea of building a local community I'd love to see where I am in Edinburgh, there seems to be a, they're starting to get more, t we've got a studio in Leaf now and there's more TV shows coming here, which is amazing. And I really hope they use local talent because there's so many talented people locally across the UK, I imagine. And 
I think we do need to make those opportunities in our country. So it is a very difficult balancing act. And I know that it's getting better, but I, I do hope that that starts to sort of level out more. Yeah, we, I belong to an organisation called the Liverpool Film Initiatives. Mm. And the whole ethos of that is to bring together actors, crew, camera people, writers, producers, directors, locally, yeah. and produce and make films so that we can show them and get a platform to show them as well. Yeah. Because in the pandemic, it's very difficult for me, for example, living in Wirral or Liverpool, to jump in the car or on the train down to London to do mm. a role when we have a pandemic. Whereas locally, if we can produce and create a lot of films here. I mean, don't get me wrong, Liverpool is a vibrant area for films. We have a lot yeah. of films coming here. But I think you made a valuable point. We want to give local talent an opportunity to be seen. Otherwise, we just are going to lie dormant. And, and one of the things I'm, I'm an, um, what's the word? I like to encourage other creative people yeah, to an do ad, it. An is, advocate was, was what you were going to, you going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, is create your own work. Absolutely. It's important to create your own work. There's a lot of resting times as actors. And I always say to young people, I'm all for you becoming actors or sports people. I mean, for example, my nephew is Max Power. He plays for Sunderland. Um, really? I, I know the name. Yeah, yes. I, I follow football, so I recognise that name. Yeah, I played FIFA before. I'm pretty sure it was on one of my teams. <laughs> oh, he, he would have been. Yeah. So I watched him play for Tramia Rovers. Before that, he was, uh, you know, a young footballer. And I, I saw him climbing and, and getting to where he is today. But I also say to young people, if, if that's your dream, go for it. Yeah. But have another skill because there are moments in your life on that journey where you will find that you may be out of work or it may be a, a period of resting. So you need to do something. For yeah. me, I teach drama, I do voiceover and a lot of other things when I'm not acting or I will do poetry for people. Yeah. So for me, uh, my encouraging words to people is, yes, follow your dream, but also have something to fall back on. Not that that will be your main occupation. No, it's just something to do whilst you're waiting for that role or waiting Ab for that job absolutely. to come. And just being proactive and having like extra things. Like, for example, like I, I didn't ever intend to do this podcast. It's sort of just been growing into something. And I'm, I'm so thrilled with where this podcast has gone and, and how well it sort of seems to be doing. And I hope we can keep growing it. And I love it. It's, it's like become my main thing at the moment. But so I totally agree. It's great to have all these other things. And I'm actually as well trying to get into like productions and like I'm, I've been running on some commercials and short films and stuff like that. So it's good to have as many projects as you can and, and do different things. Definitely helps. I remember I was in London training before I went to Richmond. I'd gone to a faith school. It was a, a church run a drama school. And that had David and Carrie Grant, who were, the, to my knowledge, the principals. David and Carrie Grant are the voice teachers on Fame Academy. And you, you've probably seen mm. Carrie around on The One Show. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being there. And someone said this to me. I was 24 years old. And they said this. They said, in order to do something you love, you may have to do something you hate. Yeah. And I, that's vivid in my memory because on my journey as an actor, I have done some horrific things in the sense of work. 
Yeah, and that's and actually jobs. going to be one of my questions towards the end of the podcast. And that's why we asked oh, okay. this question. That's actually why we asked right. the, wor- the worst part-time job question, because it's sort of meant to be a sort of funny question to encourage all the creatives who have to work these jobs, because we'd all had to work terrible jobs. So mm. I'll, I'll ask you about that uh, towards the end, because it's a, a very good question. Okay, yes. Hello, it's Jamie and Elliot here. I hope you're enjoying today's episode of Just Get A Real Job. I just wanted to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, word of mouth is the best way for us to grow. So please, if you can, share us on social media, tell your friends and family to listen. You can also support us by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your help. So anything you can do to help us grow this project is very much appreciated. We do appreciate your support as always. And if you would like to contribute or donate to our podcast, we also have a Patreon page where you could donate as little as much as you wish. You can access this by going to www.com patreon.com slash just get a real job so thank you very much again for all your support and you can also find a link to the patreon page in the show notes but anyway now back to today's show i've got some fun questions this is more about because we can talk about some of the things you be so i kind of got some more actor based questions but before i come okay. on to that actually i quickly touch on because you've gone you've done some amazing stuff because you'd acted in theater and you've got some great credits as well because you've been in you've been in coronation street before haven't you yeah the, the thing about that is when I left drama school, I was looking for experience and I'd already had a lot on the stage, but I needed to be in front of the camera. Mm. So really, I just got these small roles in, in the soaps, nothing major. I've got a, a funny story to tell you. I was playing at CID in Coronation Street. Yeah. And I remember someone coming to me. So may I have your autograph? And I said, well, I'm not a main cast. It's just a featured role. No, it doesn't matter. You've still been in Coronation Street. I said, well, and I felt I felt guilty really because it wasn't I wasn't a Ken Barlow, you know. I just played yeah. CID. I said, all right. So I signed my autograph on photograph, and then many months later, I was on the internet looking at eBay or something, and to my shock horror, there was my photograph with my signature for ninety nine pence, oh. <laughs> and above it. All the other main cast members, £2.99. And um, I was taken back by that. So, yes, I, I did the soaps as a way forward, as a way of just getting the experience yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, play, playing the, the bouncer or the police officer or the parent or the patient. And so, although they were small roles, it was just nice to be with the main cast. And, of course. Yeah. But you know what, Jamie? I t- I'm going to be honest with you. When I was on the soaps doing the rounds, I knew I'd, I'd come from drama school and I, I was an actor, but I wanted to do something more. And I used mm-hmm. to long to be in a big film or be a main actor. And so I, I found myself feeling very low because I'd look around and see. And when I, when I married Pauline, I, I left that kind of world of, of the soaps and I yeah. started to move forward got a, a good agent and it started to happen then in 2011 12 when I was approached someone phoned me up and said would you like a role in this new film called for love's sake I like your voice and you'd be playing head of social services so I read the script and I, I did the film I, I got paid and it was a great joy really to, to yeah. actually do something which was gritty in the sense of a gritty role you could get your teeth into yeah, yeah. and now that's on Amazon Prime Brilliant. We'll link this and, in the show and notes I as well. I felt good about that. And then from that point on, I started getting leading roles in Shakespeare and in other films. 
But, you know, the journey was long. Of course. And I'm still learning. Yeah. Because we never stop learning. Which is an important lesson as well. Which is amazing is to hear you say that at your age as well. And like for our listeners to hear, because it is a journey and you're constantly learning and, and growing. But you've done some more recent stuff. So you're a film you're in is doing quite well at the moment. And that you play a politician in that. Yeah, I... I was approached by the Liverpool Film Initiatives by Kai Jolly, who wrote the script, and I read it, and I felt this is just for me. And it's about Michael, a politician who suffers with Asperger's. However, with, with Asperger's, there, there are different ways that Asperger's cope mm. uh, and certain traits that Asperger's have. They're not all the same. I mean, there yeah. may be some similarities, but people with Asperger's could have different things that they do. But I, I did my research and found out, actually, there are certain politicians who were very vocal and they had clarity in their speech when they yeah. were in the houses of parliament or wherever. Articulate. But when they were, at, yeah, articulate. Mm. And when they were at home, they were a different kind of person. Yeah. And so on the basis of that, we, we did that. So Michael, the politician, is very confident when he's giving his speeches to the news. But then when he's at home, we get to see his life with his family and how he struggles. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting things there where he does things with his fork and knife, but he can't cope with certain noises. And the director did a lot of research. And I think it's important as actors you do that to get it right. Yeah, yeah. And yes, it, it's doing well in the film festivals at the moment. So I'm and looking the, for, yeah. forward to that when it's released to the public. Yeah, and it's called so AS, was, isn't it? It's called, it's called AS? Yes, yes, Asperger's. Yeah, brilliant. I'm glad I remembered the name for that one. Um, good, yes. <laughs> you've just done so many things. There's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of research for this, but I enjoyed it. It's, it's been, it was really interesting reading about your life and stuff. I also read that you're playing someone in a film called Zoda, a fantasy film. You're playing someone called Zoda. Yeah, I'm just waiting. Yeah, I'm, I, I was cast some time ago, but because of the pandemic and because mm -hmm. of the way the director is working, he's had to put things off. So yeah. he's filmed everything now apart from my scenes. So I auditioned mm. and I got the role as Zoda. It's a, a fantasy film. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to go, going to, to film those scenes. So he's ordered my costume. One of the most frightening things for me with regards to preparation for that was, yes, learning the script, <laughs> that's fine, was I had to go and meet the arts department and the makeup people. Uh, this is pre lockdown so it wasn't it's just before the lockdowns happened mm. and i had to have this mold taken of my face for the mask i've never had it done before and ironically i'd been to blackpool and london to the madame tussauds and i was reading about how famous people have to sit for a long time and have these molds taken of their faces and i i remember saying to myself oh i wonder what that's like <laughs> But when I got there, they started putting these bandages around my face and this uh, plaster of Paris. And I thought I could cope. And I was sitting there for a long time trying to breathe. And in the end, I just couldn't take anymore. And I panicked because I thought I was going to die. But thank God, they'd actually come to the end. And it was ready to take off anyway. So they Brilliant. quickly got me out. So yes, the things we do for the love of our art. <laughs> Did yeah. you know, Jamie... I actually dressed, when I left drama school, I was short on money. Mm -hmm. And I was approached by a certain brand to promote their mobile phones. And I had to dress as an orange. And I remember going around London at Christmas time. It was cold and bitter. 
and I had to dance and sing <laughs> and give leaflets out. And that was funny, and I got paid. But that very night outside the British Museum, these producers ran over and they said, look, we're doing MTV Europe, and we really need some actors to come and be silly when we're presenting it tonight. What we didn't realise was that when we arrived there, we had to play deers, um, yeah. the animal deers in the background. So there you are, the things you do for the love of your art. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, Christopher, I've got a few quick fire questions. These are just fun ones. Okay. Um, so the first question is, what's your favourite role you'd ever had the opportunity to play? The favourite role? Yeah, was, who's the best okay. character you'd had the chance to play? I loved playing Macbeth. I think it was last year. Yeah. Because I'd always grown up watching other famous actors do Macbeth. And yeah. I've always wanted to do it. So just taking on that role was, was, was brilliant for me. And it was on, on film anyway. Yeah. And, and the great thing about that, there's a vast difference between doing something on stage in, in Shakespeare. Because you, you have to project and trying mm. to be emotional and, and intimate on the stage is very difficult to do when you have a large audience yeah yeah and they need to hear you and there has to be clarity and you have to work damn hard to to get that across but on camera like we are now there's a lot more you could pick up on regarding Macbeth and so that was fun to do and I really really enjoyed that because you could see what was going on you could see the things going on in, in his mind yeah that's brilliant that's a good answer good play as well of course uh, well my next one is if you could play any famous historical figure from history who would you choose to play? Oh, uh, I thought you were going to say from any any period period time then, because I would have said Doctor Who. Um, you can you have that what? if you want. <laughs> yes, Doctor Who. There's a lot of historical characters in history that I would like to play and do justice to. Mm. But, you know, it's a very difficult one, that, because the, the, there are many, isn't there? Um, I, I'd love to play Shakespeare, but I don't have a beard. Or mm -hmm. can I tell you a story uh, before we go? Yeah. So it's about beards. No, I... I I, I loved Shakespeare and I'd, I'd love to do him one day, but they can always put a beard on me. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being cast as Bill Sykes yeah. in the musical Oliver. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a fan of beards in the sense of I can't grow them. Anyway, me, me, so too. me too. Me <laughs> too. Yeah. So I, Elsie Kelly, who was in Benador, was directing. Oliver, and I'd been cast, and I'd always wanted to play Bill Sykes, and we did it locally at the Floral Pavilion. But during rehearsals, uh, we'd gone from the rehearsal room to the actual place, and we were doing the tech run. I think it was a week before, not tech run, yeah, we were looking at tech, the technical side, and we had a week to go, and she looked at me and said, you know what, you are going to have to grow a beard or do something. We need, need Bill Sykes looking rough and with a stubble. And I, I was very reluctant to do it but I had to and so I couldn't shave for a whole week and I had to hide myself when I went out shopping from people and I had to run in the dark shadows of the streets so that people wouldn't see me yeah and I tell you what a joy it was to get home after finishing Oliver and have to think of shame after the actual production <laughs> Nobody mentions my name, Rich Ben. Hold their five pound notes out, saves me emptying their coats out. They know I could tear their throats out just to live up to my name. 
Uh, well, uh, my last quickfire one is just, do you have any actors that have been a big influence on you? Who do you look up to? Who are like your acting heroes? Do you know what? I'm so glad, I get emotional, I'm so glad you asked that. I really look up to a lot of people and I'm going to quickly name a few. I, okay. I, I think Anna Friel, I think she started in Brookside. She may have done other stuff, but I've been following her career for a long time. So I watch a lot of stuff with, with her in and I, I think she's a brilliant actress and, and she does justice to every role she does. Putting her aside, I, I also, uh, I love the late Alan Rickman. Oh, uh, what, what a fantastic actor. I, 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 him, Gary Oldman. Yeah, brilliant. That's uh, Sir Patrick Stewart, Sir Ian McKellen, Brian Blessed. Brian Blessed. I oh, what love, a voice. Um, what a voice. Yes. And I, people often ask me about Brian Blessed because I used to do him uh, a lot. And for me, even if you asked him for Weetabix or what did you have today, and I'll have a go for you because I used to do him. It's a long time since I've done him. <laughs> um, so if you were to ask me a question on what I had this morning, I'd come up with some, well, <clears throat> here we go. I, when I woke up this morning, I found it extraordinary that something uh, like Weetabix would bring joy to my heart. To, uh, as you know, I, I love to go out mountain climbing. And I, I remember <laughs> once climbing the mountain and someone approached me and said, um, Brian, could you do that famous uh, line from uh, Flash Gordon? And I, I, I being reluctant, but I, I quite like uh, to do this. I would say, Gordon is alive. So absolutely, uh, you need to get out of it. So I used to do that a lot. But right. Sorry. Wow, Brian. that was amazing. That was a podcast. Sorry, Brian. Podca- a, podca- a podcast. Yeah, no offense. A podcast exclusive. We'd had now had Brian Blessed on the podcast, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, wow. That was actually very good. I enjoyed that. That's, that's, that's making okay. me smile. You're making me smile. Um, but that, no, very very good answers there. Just get a real well, we, as I was about, you, we, t- we touched on this earlier, but we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, what's the worst part-time job you'd, they'd ever had to work to support your art? So I'm very interested to hear your answer for this. Yes, very, very. I I got a job, and I'm not going to mention the name. Yeah, you don't have to name the company. The company. <laughs> um, I got a job sampling food or, or inviting the public to sample food. And it depressed me so much because I had to arrive, go to the counter, pick up the food, cut it up into little pieces. You had to wear uh, an apron and and make sure your hands were clean. But what I didn't like about the job is the way you were treated because you were treated so badly by people in higher places, those uh, shops. You were treated like dirt and uh, just a number. And you know, deep, Side deep, deep down inside, I used to scream out, and I felt like saying, "Look, how dare you treat us? You know the way you're doing. We're not numbers. We're not a piece. You know, we're not some dirt on a sidewalk. We're, we're, we're human beings." And I tell you, I, I I never forget the moment when I went to ask the security guard for the credit card which we would use to purchase the food, and I remember him just treating us so badly. He screamed and screamed at us. And I remember saying to my wife, I, I can't do this anymore because people were coming into the store, recognizing me from something, whether that was Bill Sykes or mm. we saw you on television or in the newspaper. And I felt really bad because I was an actor and here yeah. I was doing this. However, as a married wife, sometimes, and I'll go back to what they said at that drama school, 
sometimes you in order to do something you love you have to do something you hate yeah absolutely i don't do that anymore but it really and i get emotional because some of the rubbish some of the things you do in order to do something you love can be so so bad and funny and funny. yeah I hope you didn't mind me saying that I, oh not I, at all I'm not at all guilty now jamie because i was expecting you to ex or were you expecting something funny uh, oh that was good no that's a good answer that, that it doesn't have to be a funny answer the whole point oh, okay thank the whole, God the, whole the whole point of that question is, is just to give people a, a make people feel better that because a lot of people that listen are in that position i'm i work a job that i have a mixed feeling about i'm a mm. carer i like the job and it's very rewarding but some days i really don't like it because it isn't what I, do you know what I mean i want to be doing this all the time i'd love to be able to get paid yeah. full time to do this podcast to write do you know what um just to finish it. on this i words of encouragement is it is difficult in this mm. profession and we mustn't let people talk us out of our dreams and we need to continue to network supporting each other yeah. and sometimes I may be offered something that's not for me or I'm, I'm doing something else or rather than say no or, or not answer the email. It's good to give that to someone else and say, yeah, look, I can't absolutely. do it, but I, I know someone else that can. And I, I do that a lot, but that's I brilliant. also rejection is very difficult and we've all been through there, mm -hmm. but one day you will look back and realize that, that door that closed may have been the best thing for you. It's like sliding doors because yeah. you wouldn't be in the place where you are now. Absolutely. And I remember Hugh McGregor, and I'm not going to misquote, but I do remember him coming on to one show once and doing something to the camera because he had been rejected from a various uh, one school in the past. And, and people can Google it. It's out, in, it's out there in the public domain. So, mm. And that made me think about, you know, Yes, there are times in our lives where people reject us, like that director that said, you know, if you ever, if you came into my office with a voice like yours, yeah, I wouldn't work with you. And that I broke down. Mm -hmm. But you know, that director now, who knows, you know, he he may be kicking himself. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he'll offer me a job one day. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? He missed, he missed out on a great <laughs> Brian Blessed impression as well. So jokes on him. <laughs> I try, I try. <laughs> oh well you'd, i mean you just sort of answered my last question where you always round up is by asking like what your advice would be and you'd given it great advice this whole episode so it's honestly christopher this has actually been such a privilege to speak to you and I'm, i honestly mean that it's honestly i've loved this conversation and i'm so grateful for your time and i feel very moved by this conversation honestly so thank you very much you're welcome oh wow <laughs> That was brilliant. I definitely may have to ask you back on again at some point in the future. Um, it would be I'd love to have you. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Just Get A Real Job. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Christopher and I'd like to thank Christopher once again for coming on the podcast and also just for being so open and so honest about his uh, experiences and stuff i really really appreciate that i love this conversation and i hope you guys liked it as well as always if you're enjoying the podcast remember to share us on social media tell friends and family to listen if you can afford to donate to our patreon page as well that would be very very much appreciated and there is a link to that in the show notes another thing you can do to help us grow is by leaving us a five-star review on apple Podcasts. that really helps us to be seen 
we can't afford advertising so that goes a long long way and also if you want to find out a bit more about Christopher please check the links in the show notes there's a link to Christopher's book which I would thoroughly recommend going and buying there's also links to some of Christopher's work Christopher's Twitter you know his websites foundations and stuff so make sure to check that stuff out anyway thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Just Get A Real Job we'll be back at the usual time next week Just Get A Real Job